12 is where we are. John chapter 12 is where we're going to be uh, looking through and, and, and reading here, back in our study of John, continuing in our study of John. Uh, John chapter number 12 is where we'll be. Uh, John 12, down by verse number 32. There we go. John chapter 12. Let me get myself one of these guys. Um, how are you doing this morning? Okay? All right. Thank you. I needed that. All right. So... Um, John chapter 12, we're down by verse 32. We're just moving right along here in our study here in the book of John. Uh, But I don't do a lot of this. I don't know if you do any of this, but uh, if you ever turn on like the Christian station, if there exists such a one anymore, anymore, if there exists such a one anymore, if you, you know, watch the average, maybe I'd say contemporary Christian preacher or televangelist or whatever you want to call them, but a lot of those big wigs... A lot of today's televangelists have been spreading uh, the wrong message about Christianity. Just just gonna let you know that. Uh, You know, we see uh, packed stadiums and and private jets and plenty and plenty of, of money are said to be evidence of God's smile on your life. And uh, really nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> uh, what a far cry from the Savior, amen, who was homeless and died with no earthly possessions. They gambled away the only piece of property he had left, i.e., some clothing, some garments. And what a stark contrast to maybe the Apostle Paul, who might be the greatest Christian who ever lived, at least from my vantage point. He wouldn't say that of himself, but I could say that of him. I mean, he died sick, alone, and imprisoned. That's the one that was following Jesus Christ and said, follow me because I'm following Christ. And, and, and it's those prosperity people, they get all the airwaves. They have all the station time. They've got all the big fancy websites. So with prosperity preachers getting all the airtime, I think a lot of people might think that more means blessed. Bigger means better. Like, lively and loud and packed means full of the Spirit of God. Now look at John chapter 12 here. I'm just going to try to learn you something here in John chapter 12 in verse 32. Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So there Jesus Christ is speaking about his death to a crowd that didn't really have a heart for him. They didn't really like him. They were going to kill him in a week. And look what Jesus, look what happens in verse 34. In 34, this crowd that didn't really love him like you, I hope, love him, that didn't really know him like you, I trust, knows him, They start objecting to Jesus speaking about dying. Look what they say in 34. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You see their objection? They're saying, We heard that Christ was coming to reign forever, not die on a cross. That's what we heard. It's like they were saying, how can you be the Christ if you're going to die? How can you be the Messiah if you're going to suffer? How can you be the conquering king if you're going to be crucified 
on a cross. It's like they say to you, don't they? It's like the world says to you, how can you be a Christian if you're going through hard times? How can you be God's child if you're facing such difficulty? How can you really know God if you're going through such a tough time? I'm not. I've never said that to you. Well, you haven't lived long enough as a Christian. It's like believers say to themselves, maybe you've ever whispered this or had this run through your ears. How could God love me and have a wonderful plan for my life if I'm always being opposed, if the road always seems so rough, if my heart is still broken, if people are still betraying me, if people are, you know, taking advantage of me, if stuff's not going though, I want to serve God. Why am I taking my left hooks and my right hooks? I thought this. I heard that. Didn't think you'd say amen to that, but I know you think it. Because I think it. We all think it. How could this be happening, God? I heard that you were love. I thought that you were powerful. Why am I basically dying down here? Why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? Why am I being opposed? Why does my family misunderstand me? Why are my friends forsaking me? Why are people looking at me sideways at the job? I'm just trying to live for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. But can I tell you this? If you thought... Material prosperity is God's smile on your life. You thought wrong. And if you heard and you think that you get to the crown without going through a cross, you heard wrong. And that's what that's the message today. You heard wrong. Let's clarify some things about what Christ went through and what we might go through. And if you heard anything else, you heard wrong. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. I just pray, Lord, you just be a blessing to your people and use us for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, would you? Matthew chapter 26. You pray for me as I preach this message here today. Matthew 26, go down to verse number 62. Matthew 26. I just got two points for you to consider today. In Matthew 26, verse 62. Number one, I want to say this. That if you thought Christ would get the crown without a cross, you heard wrong. You heard wrong if you thought Christ would get the crown without a cross. Now, I'll give them this. The Jews of Jesus' day got something right. You know what they got right? They knew that when Christ came, his kingdom was going to continue forever. They knew that much. I got to give them that much. They got 50% right. That was good stuff. Thank you. You get a, you get a C, a C minus, right? You got to got half of it, half of it right. All right. Uh, look at Matthew 6, uh, 26, verse 62. Here they are uh, uh, accosting Jesus and this, this sham of a trial that your Savior had to go through in 62 of Matthew 26. It says, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Wow, he's getting up in his grill. All right, verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said... Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Woo! 
Then the high priest rent his clothes. He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face. Just picture it. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. So they're slapping him in his face and Keep reading. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Man, Jesus says one thing about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and they blow a gasket. They take this guy, this Nazarene, who'd never done anything but heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, and raise the dead, and they're up in his face, cracking him, smacking him, spitting him. You ever been spit in your face? That's like legit, man. That's, that is, you can't be more disrespected than somebody to spit at you. They are spitting in your beloved Savior's face, probably foaming at the mouth and slapping him around like a rag doll and saying, hey, hey, who smote you? Who smote you? Who smote you? They're doing that to your Savior. Why? Why did these religious, pious, sanctified, ceremonial Jews get so incensed about what Jesus Christ said? I'm glad you asked, right? Go to Daniel chapter 7, and I'll show you why they got so twisted and so upset. Go to Daniel chapter 7, and look at verse number 13. I'll show you why they got so upset, because Jesus done said something he shouldn't have said. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse number 13. Look what the Bible says. This is a prophecy hundreds of years before the cross. And Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, watch this now, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Just like what Jesus said, right? Came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. You see, they were flipping out and they were blowing a gasket because Jesus Christ was quoting the book of Daniel about the coming Christ. They knew exactly what Jesus said when he said, I saw the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. They ripped their phylacteries and blew their gasket because they said he's quoting the prophecy of the Christ coming. He's saying he's the Christ. And look what they found out. Look what they knew about that Christ in verse number 14. 14, and there was given him this Christ, this Son of Man coming with the clouds. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. They knew that the coming Christ would rule a kingdom that never passes away. Amen. He was never going to lose it. It was never going to go away once he came. I hope you know that. When he comes and sets up what he's going to set up, there's no term limits, never going to run out. It is coming for good, my brother. Now, I know what happens when politics go south. Some of you want to go south. (laughs) I get it. When politics don't go the way you know they should go, you know what people tend to do? Not you, but people tend to run away. Florida, South Dakota, (laughs) South Carolina, And I know a lot of people that have just run away. They just run away. We're going to go somewhere else where, you know, we can 
have our open carry and we could do what we want to do and all that stuff. I get it. I hear it. I'm not saying it's not tempting. I'm not saying that. But can I just level with you? Or if you're watching from home, because you're all still here in Jersey. All you did was buy yourself an election cycle or two if you're, if you're lucky or if you're blessed. Because no earthly kingdom lasts forever. And you run to that place, and they see everybody running to that place. You don't think those people are going to try to flip that place the other way the next time the election cycle comes? And then where are you going to go? Antarctica? Idaho? Almost the same in my mind. You know, where are you going to go? Right? It's, it, the world is evil. It's everywhere. Maybe you buy yourself a little time, but you can't because earthly kingdoms don't last forever. I mean, take some of the great leaders we've had. George Washington. He was a good leader. If you don't like that, then you got a problem. You don't know history. George Washington was a good leader. He's considered one of the greatest presidents ever. Guy was a moral guy, an upstanding guy. He didn't want to be president. They kind of made him president. You know, he only governed for eight years. Eight years. Queen Elizabeth I, not the one who just recently died. Queen Elizabeth I is considered one of the greatest monarchs in history. Like you heard of Elizabethan English that your King James Bible's written in and like Shakespeare, like and, and all that stuff happened under Elizabeth, the virgin queen, one of the greatest monarchs ever. During her kingdom, the sun never set on the British crown. And she was a friend to Bible. She was a friend to preaching. She was a friend to people that were not friends to you. She was a friend to Bible preaching and Bible Christianity. And she let it happen when the previous Bloody Mary was trying to wipe your brethren out. She brought in a restoration. She was kind and benevolent. You know what? Her reign was only 45 years. Like, how long is that? That's, like, that's nothing in the span of time. Can I tell you, my king's administration is never going to end. <laughs> My king's administration just keeps going and growing forever. Oh, I can't wait. I, can you wait? I can't wait. I can't wait for that righteous king to come. In fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It's just going to keep going out and going out into the cosmos, into outer space. And that government that Jesus Christ establishes when he returns, when the Christ comes, guess what? It's never going to end. I like that. I'm not going to have to run to kind of South Carolina if I don't like the way things go. It's just going to keep going and going and going because Jesus Christ, my king, is never going to come off that throne once he comes. And the Jews knew that. Even the angel told Mary when Jesus Christ was getting ready to kind of be implanted in her womb, he told Mary, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Aren't you looking forward to that? Summer vacation that never ends. Time's a billion, right? It's going to be some, some time. Now go to Psalm 89. Fill in those extra amens. We've got a bunch of people traveling today. So give me those extra amens. Help me out. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Look at verse 29. You say, how could that kingdom go on forever? How could it just keep going? It's simple. God, pro Go to Psalm 89. God promised Christ's kingdom would endure forever because the king endures forever. <laughs> Right? He's not going to die and like turn it over to some other schmo. He's going to keep going forever and ever and ever and ever. Now look at Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is some promises 
to the seed of David. Psalm 89 are some promises to the coming king. And in Psalm 89, David writes, or the Holy Spirit writes through David, his seed, meaning the seed of David, which Jesus Christ was, the son of David, his seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. They're not running out of days in heaven, are they? So Jesus Christ is going to keep going forever, his throne forever. Jump to verse number 36. There it is again. His seed, that's Jesus Christ. He's the seed. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. Man, it's my king when he comes. You're not going to assassinate him. He's not going to die. He's just going to keep going forever and ever and ever, sitting on that throne forever and ever. And the Jews are right. The Jews got this. He's going forever. Down here, nothing good lasts forever. Even a building that you had all to yourself. Nothing good lasts forever, right? Nothing good lasts forever down here, friends. Only salvation, only Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I, I love my dog. I do. I love my dog. More and more, he's becoming more and more my best friend. You know, he's my, he's my buddy. Even though he woke me up at 6.30, he got me up at 6.30 today. I was already up, and he had to go out twice because he had to do number one. Then number two, he was very good. He told me, gave me both notices. If you, don't, if you can't identify with that, I know you're not an animal person. You're not a dog person or, 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 or something else. You have parakeets. I don't know, whatever it is. But, you know, like this guy's like, you know, dogs, you come home, that dog is there. He's your buddy, right? You do no wrong in your dog's eyes. I mean, he is, he is always happy to see you. He is always happy when I come home. I got an amen right there, Danny. He's always, he's my buddy. He's my best friend. I tell him sometimes, yeah, my, my wife doesn't like when I say that, but she's, I'm like, Copper, you're my best friend. You're my best buddy. And he just, <laughs> he knows I'm going to give him a treat if I say that. But you know what? I know something really sad that I don't, my kids won't like me to say, but I know my dog's not going to live forever. Maybe you get 10 years, a dozen years, eight years. I had a beautiful German shepherd when I was a kid. She died when she was 10, got cancer. I I know she's not going to live forever. And I hate the thought of parting with my dog. You think it's silly. You could laugh at me if you want. But a wise man regarded the life of his beast. I got my Bible verses, all right? But you know what? I hate the thought of parting with that thing I love down here. I really, I really enjoy, you know, walking him and playing with him and like body slamming him when we wrestle. I, I enjoy that stuff, right? I hate the thought of parting with him because nothing good down here lasts forever. I mean, the world right now is mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth II. I don't know that much about Queen Elizabeth II. I know this, though. She was 96 years old. They're still, they knew she was going to die. Nobody lives forever. You can't live forever, Elizabeth. She knew that. You knew that. But we forget that. And then those good things that we have, they pass away and we're sad. We mourn, but it doesn't last forever. But my king lasts forever. Listen to this. If you're saved, I will never, ever have to say goodbye to Jesus Christ. He is with me always. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Think about that. My king, I never have to part. And in fact, when I leave this place, I get to see him with my eyeballs. I get to touch him with my hands. I get to hold his feet with my arms, right? It's only going to get better for me down here. 
Everything else down here, it only gets worse. It rots, it rusts, it dies, it fades away. But my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going on forever. There is not a day that he is not with me. There is not a day that I cannot pray to him. There is not a day that he doesn't want to speak with me. There isn't a day that he doesn't want to fellowship with me. And when this life that I think is pretty good ends down here, it's only going to get better with me and him up there. Man, that's a pretty great leader. And the Jews knew that this coming Christ, man, it got something right. But they heard wrong. They missed a big part of who Jesus Christ was going to be. Can you go to Psalm 22? I'm going to show you some things they missed. And I'll tell you why they missed it. Go to Psalm 22. Am I making any sense to anybody? All right, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I don't get amens in class, you know, last week. So I just got to get some extra ones. Just get that dull stare. Right, Rachel? That dull stare. Just like anybody home? All right, Psalm 22. You know what they missed? They didn't hear that God's Christ was going to die. That went right over their head. And it was hiding in plain sight. It was hiding right in the Bible, right in Psalm 22, which was written right there a thousand years. We looked at it last week, but let's look at this part again. Verse 11 is about the crucifixion. It's about Christ going to the cross, written in prophecy, man. And in verse 11, this is your Savior speaking from the cross, crying out to his Father saying, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. When he was on that cross, it wasn't just the nails. It wasn't just the whipping. It wasn't just the suffocation and the asphyxiation that happened with crucifixion as your organs begin to sink and you gasp and try to breathe. That wasn't the hardest part. There are devils gnashing on him and biting on him and tormenting him while he's up there. And nobody could see it but him. Nobody could help but his father who had to leave him there as a curse to die for our sins. And it keeps going. It says, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, like an offering. And all my bones are out of joint because he's hanging there. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. You know why he could count all his bones? Because he was naked up there. He could count every one of his bones just sticking out there. Right? They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. How come they miss that? How come they weren't studying that? Oh, they liked the part about the reigning and the ruling and the kingdom, and we're going to be the head and not the tail, but they missed the part about the piercing. They missed the part about the gaping. They missed the part about the torment and the trouble he was going to go through. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Let me show you something else they missed, and then I'll tell you why very shortly. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 down to verse 25. Daniel 9, 25. Daniel 9, 25 to 27 is maybe one of the greatest prophecies in all the Bible. It actually gives the timing of Messiah's arrival in Jerusalem. So when you see those wise men show up in Matthew chapter 2, 
How did they know that Messiah was going to show up to the nation of Israel? Because they studied the book of Daniel and prophecies like that, and they could tell by studying it out the timing of the Messiah. So Daniel chapter 9 kind of could tell you right down when he would come. And in Daniel 9.25, Daniel writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, I'm not going to get into all what that means. We'll do that maybe on a Bible study night. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Daniel 9, 26. They knew hundreds of years before Jesus came that when the Christ came, he was going to be cut off, but not for himself. How come they didn't hear that? They didn't hear that Messiah the Prince was going to die for the people, not for his own sins. He was going to be cut off for somebody else. Go to Isaiah chapter 53 now. Isaiah 53, and then I'll circle these wagons on this point. Isaiah 53. I'm just trying to show you guys that if you thought Christ was getting a crown without a cross, you heard wrong like those, uh, those religious Jews back then. Isaiah 53 is written 700 years approximately before the cross, and it's all about the cross. And this is another thing they missed. How come they didn't know this? It was in their Old Testament. It was there like Psalms, like Daniel, like this. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Why don't you stick your name in there? Because this was for you. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for, you should say my, but the Bible says our, our transgressions. He was bruised for our Iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So open, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was, there it is again, cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Man, they missed a lot. They done heard wrong. They didn't hear that Christ was going to die. They didn't hear that Christ was going to die for the people. And they didn't hear that God's servant was going to suffer for their sins. They missed it. You say, how could they miss it? Why didn't they hear what the Bible says? You want to know why? It's simple. Because they didn't want to hear it. That's why. Right? They didn't want to hear it. That's why you don't pay attention to half the Bible you don't want to pay attention to. Because you don't want to hear it. You want to hear the parts that you like to hear. You want to know that Jesus is going to be there and he's going to be your homeboy and he's going to help you out when you're feeling low. Those parts we love, we rejoice over, but the part about his holiness, the part about his judgment, the part about his coming plan, the part about consecration, the part about devotion, the part about going all the way because he went all the way for you, that part, well, we don't want to hear that part. 
Because that part's like upsetting. That part's convicting. And that was the same thing, man. Those leaders of Israel, they wanted the land, man. They wanted that land back. Not the Lord of the land. They wanted the land. They didn't care about the Lord. The hearts of those hypocrites, and they were hypocrites. But the hearts of those hypocrites, they were set on stuff. Not spiritual things. They didn't really care about spiritual things. They had no heart for spiritual things. They wanted the stuff. Give us the temple. Give us the kingdom. Give us the power. Give us the glory. That's what we want. It happens all the time, brethren. It happens all the time. I mean, you don't go out on the street too much, but if you do, you'll see it. Come out with us. People ignoring us preach. People just like scoffing and turning a deaf ear. Why? Because they got their 5G. They got their D&D. And they don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about heaven. I had this guy yesterday pull up and roll up on, in, 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 on, on 36 by me. And he goes, why would I want to go to heaven? Why can't I just have all my stuff down here? And then he cursed me out so bad, I can't even repeat it to the brethren. And I was nice. Sometimes I deserve it. Sometimes I'm asking for it. But this was like, I wasn't asking. I just said, no, man, Christ died for you. Just, just like that, mellow and easy. And he got full of the devil and started cursing me up. My, even me, I was starting to blush. And I haven't blushed in a long time. But he was cursing me up. My, eye, my, my nose, my eyes were starting to water. It was like, wow, wow, wow. It was crazy. Why? Because I'm holding up a sign about how to get to heaven. Because he's like, why do I want to go to heaven? I got everything down here. I'm good down here. And I wasn't nasty. I wasn't belittering him. But they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know about sin. They don't want to hear about it then. They don't want to hear about it now. It's like people in churches today, a lot of people. They don't want to hear about suffering. They don't want to hear about consecration. They don't want to hear about sacrifice. They don't want to hear about self-denial. They don't want to hear about all the normal things of the Christian life that the Bible is full of. They want to hear about, speak it and God will bring it to pass. Speak your truth and the Lord will manifest it. You know, he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If I preach that every Sunday, that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and man, if you just follow this one half a verse I pull out of somewhere in Timbuktu, you'll have your best life now. Guess what? I would, you fill the place out. But you preach about taking up your cross and following him and Jesus Christ on that road to Calvary, and that's the road you're supposed to walk in the shadow of that cross. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we heard. We didn't hear that. How can this be? That, that's what goes on, man. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter 1. And I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. I got that. I understand that. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Way back in your Old Testament. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, look at verse number 10. 1 Peter 1.10. Can I tell you, they missed it, but it was all over the Old Testament. All over the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was connecting Christ's suffering to Christ's glory. Christ's cross to Christ's crown. You can't have one without the other. You got to go through the cross if you want the crown. 1 Peter 1, Peter is writing about the salvation, see verse 10, which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Thankfully, salvation today is all of grace. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's God's grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And in the Holy Spirit, there were hints of it, witnesses of it, shadows of it, types of it, and the prophets would write things down like Daniel, and they would go, huh? 
Oh, what is this about? And God would say, it's not for you, it's not for you. And they would search, and they would try to understand. And in verse 11, it says, searching what? Or matter of time, the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So all through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was connecting Christ's suffering to Christ's glory. They didn't even understand it, but they were looking at it and they were preaching it and they were writing it down and the Holy Spirit was connecting those two. They didn't understand it. They were trying to figure it out, but it was there. And the Jews of Jesus' day missed it. <laughs> they were just like, well, I thought Christ was coming to give us, you know, all this stuff. And those leaders They wanted the conquering Christ so bad, they missed the suffering servant that had to precede it. They they just, they had the blinders on. They missed the Jesus who wept before he reigned. They missed the Jesus who hungered before he filled the nations. They missed the Jesus who grew weary before he brought his times of refreshing. They didn't hear the Jesus that cried, I thirst, before he commanded his law out of Jerusalem. The son of man who would say, I have not where to lay my head, who lived less than the birds and the foxes were living at that time. The one who would sit on a throne, but they missed that when he came the first time, he didn't even have two nickels to rub together. He had to tell Peter to go fishing to find some money. They missed it. The Christ who died between two thieves and was buried in a borrowed grave. The one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills had a stoop to that level down here on earth. Yes. And they missed it because they didn't want to hear it. They were looking for the pie in the sky. Can I ask you something? Why do we think Christ would live in a palace on earth and be adorned with riches? Isn't that strange? Anybody stood up in a, you know, a a fancy plane or a fancy jet or that little mobile with the bulletproof glass and stand up there and say, I'm Christ's servant, I'm Christ's servant. I got so much money, I can't even count it. Does that jive with what the Bible is saying? That's weird to me, man. I'm just, I'm not trying to be too, too uh, controversial, but I don't know how you could see these people stand up there with more than heart can wish, with these plastic smiles and this, this fake piety and these riches and these riches and these riches, and you're the one following the Nazarene who said, I don't even have a house. And if God gave you a house, praise God. He wants you to have a house. Bless God. But I'm just saying, who, what are we thinking? Who are we listening to? You know what we get that notion? Because you heard wrong. We hear wrong. We don't want to hear this truth because I know you're afraid what it might mean for you. You're afraid what it might mean if you follow the Nazarene. Would that mean I'm going to go through trouble? Would that mean people would betray me? Does that mean I might be forsaken? I don't know what God's going to do in your life. I don't know. But you heard wrong if you heard that the path to the cross was any other way. So go with me to uh, uh, go to Matthew chapter 16 again. Let me just turn around on us a little bit here. Man, there is a heavy spirit in this room today, guys. There is a heavy spirit. I know I'm not preaching the most uplifting message and a lot of people are out, but there is a heaviness in this room. Uh, I just got to call it out. There is a heaviness in here today uh, for whatever reason it is, but there is a heaviness. And I'm not trying to pour salt on it, but we, I just realized, we'll get to the good stuff in a second, but this is the Christian life. And it's just a vapor. You know what I thought about today? 9-11. I wrote that. 
9-11 on that date. You know, I thought life is just a vapor, man. If that's all it could be for me today, I know it means a lot for other people, but it was just a sobering reminder that life is a vapor. And maybe you weren't there, but I stood there. And I watched grown men who had mocked God the week before at my job in Manhattan fall on the floor with no strength in their legs as they watched a hundred stories come pancaking down one after another. You know what they, who they called out to? You'll never guess who they called out to. You'll never guess the words that came out of their mouth. Oh, God came out of their mouth. You know the last word that's going to come out of anybody's mouth when they face tragedy? The car goes careening off the hill or something horrible happens. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm encouraging you. Turn to him now. Stay in relationship with him now. Love him now so it's not a shocker when things like that happen. But um, if you thought Christians could follow Christ without a cross, you heard wrong too. You heard wrong too. Listen, after you get saved by faith in Christ, how many people are saved by faith in Christ? Let me give them. Amen. I'm glad it's not of works. I'll send him in boast. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about service and consecration. But after you get saved by faith in Christ, you're supposed to become a follower of Christ. You got saved by faith in Christ to become a follower of Christ. Praise the Lord. Listen, that's, that's normal. If he saved you, it's normal to want to follow him. Listen, if I had some kind of a disease and I were dying and I discovered a diet that somehow saved my life, you know what I would do? I would follow it. (laughs) If that thing saved my life, I would follow that program. I would stick to that routine because I was dying and that diet saved my life. For so the rest of my life, I can't eat ding-dongs, I'm never eating another ding-dong. And for the rest of my life, i got to grind up mushrooms and put them on my salad or whatever. I'm grinding up mushrooms, whatever it is. I know that some of you are just like, I'll text you, Pat, I've got that diet. I know, there's a million and one diets out there. Don't eat meat, do eat meat. Eat meat upside down, don't eat upside down. Vegan, no vegan. I'm not even trying to go there. Please just keep that to yourself. Let me just live in ignorance right now. But if there were some kind of fountain of youth and you found it, you would follow it, right? If you found out that, you know, not eating something made you feel better, live better, even maybe live longer, you would follow it if you were wise. You'd stick to that program. You'd follow that routine. Can I just remind us all? Your sin was killing you. It was killing you. It kills everything it touches. It'll kill your family. It'll kill a church. It'll kill everything. That sin was like a cancer just working its way out and multiplying, and it was killing you. And when the sin was finished, it was going to bring forth death. And Jesus Christ saved your life. He gave you eternal life. Did he say, he saved my life. I'll tell you right now, if nobody else in here, the people in the language school, whoever is in here, I want to testify, Jesus Christ saved my life. You say, what were you doing? You on drugs? No. You know what I was hooked on? I was hooked on me. And it's a lot harder to get yourself off of yourself than it is sometimes to get off drugs. And I was hooked on me, and I was my own God, and nobody could tell me different. And you know what? Jesus Christ stepped in the way of me and the oncoming train of God's wrath. And if nobody else gets anything out of that, you know what I want to tell him? Thank you, Jesus. 
Because I'll never forget the day you saved my life. I'll never forget that day alone in my room when I cried out in despair the night before and a bag found out my door the next day that told me how to get to heaven and change my whole life. That happened to me. I hope it happened to you. But if it only happened to me, I'm here to testify. He's worthy. Because he died to save my life and your life. He's worth it. And can I tell this about that? If he saved you, then follow that savior. Not that program, but that person. Not that routine, but that relationship. If he's the one that saved me, I want to follow him. That just makes sense to me. Now in Matthew 16, Jesus gives some conditions to following him. Then said Jesus unto his uh, disciples, if any man will come after me, here it is, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now we say amen. Jesus Christ saved my life. We say amen. He rescued me from sin. But how can you and I expect to follow Jesus Christ and not face any trouble yourself? How can that be? He says it right there. If you're going to follow me, you got to deny some things, take up your cross, and follow me. You know what Martin Luther said? He wrote something really great. He said, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? If you heard following the Jesus of the Bible, I don't mean the figment of people's imagination on the internet, but if following the Jesus of the Bible, if you thought that was going to be a bed of roses, you heard wrong. He said denial, consecration, even sometimes difficulty, which he called a cross. That was the path to true devotion and discipleship. That's what Jesus said. Take it up with him. An old Scottish preacher one time, he wrote, Jesus promised the disciples three things. I could hear his little brogue now, three things, you know, but I'm not going to try to do a bad Scottish accent. But he said that his disciples were promised they would be completely fearless. Amen absurdly happy, amen, because only a disciple could get whipped like the disciples were and then go on their way rejoicing, happy to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. So some that would defy explanation. You know, the third thing he said was, and in constant trouble. That's what he said every disciple was promised. Fearlessness, joy, but trouble. Trouble. Not for their sin, but for following the Savior. Now listen, my dear brethren, if you smash your thumb with a hammer, that's your fault. Your lack of judgment is bringing you that pain. Your sin, let's say, has bringing... I'm not talking about your sin, your foolishness, and your bad choices that are making your life troublesome. That's not what I'm talking now. I'm talking about if you follow Jesus Christ in an evil world that's dead set against him, don't be surprised when trouble comes, when difficulty comes. Listen, if there were like imperfections on this wood, right? You get that raw wood and you're going to build something with it. You're going to paint it or something like that. You're going to stain it. You know what? You got to sand all those bumps, all those imperfections, all those barbs out. And when you sand a piece of wood, you have to maintain constant pressure, right? You got to like press into it a little bit if you're going to get all those imperfections out and fix it. And I'm feeling it right now. You know what that does? It causes friction. You know what that friction is? It brings heat. You kind of feel the heat a little bit. 
And my brethren, the friction of following Jesus Christ in an imperfect world with all its bumps and bruises and barbs and splinters that are trying to stick it to you, you know what it's going to make you feel that friction? You're going to feel the heat. If you're going to follow him, now you can get saved by faith, but if you're going to follow him, you're going to feel the heat. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. I'm just trying to make it so it's not a surprise when it happens. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> Hebrews 5, 8. Moving right along. Hebrews 5, 8. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> though he were a son, capital S. So it's speaking about Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8. Hebrews 5, 8. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Question. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Okay, let me just ask that again. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Okay, right. Did he suffer? Absolutely. He was the Son of God, and he felt the heat. Now I'm going to ask another question. Are you a Son of God? All right, even the ladies, you're a Son of God because you're in Christ. Let me ask it again. Are you a Son of God? Are you saved? Now don't answer this one out loud because it will make us all uncomfortable. Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you feeling any heat? He felt he was a son. He felt the heat. He said, I'm a son. You feeling any heat? Are you fo- I'm not saying you got to go be martyred, but you feeling any heat? Are you following? Look at Hebrews chapter 2, just to the left, just a touch of smathering. Hebrews chapter 2. You say, Pat, why do you have to preach like that? I just... Because Jesus told me to tell the truth. I got it. I love you, so I'm telling you the truth. So you're prepared. You're prepared for the opposition. You're prepared when you're doing the best you can, and the doctor says your son has leukemia. You're doing the best you can, and the bottom falls out somewhere. You're doing the best you can, and everything seems like it's going crazy. And you're like, where are you, God? He said, listen, you heard wrong if you thought that it was all going to be butterflies and rainbows. Right? We walk on a broken road in a fallen world and we're just trying to get to the Savior. But he says, you're going to have to walk the same broken road that I walked so you could taste what I tasted, so you could be conformed to my image. And one day, so if you show yourself faithful, you could reign alongside me like I earned the right to reign in my Father's kingdom. You see how this whole thing's working? He's grooming leaders. He's grooming rulers. He's grooming some joint heirs that are going to rule and reign with him. This is a little bit of proving ground. It's just a vapor. It's just 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years. But it's a, it's a puff of air on the speck of sand on the beach of time. It's nothing. And the payout's going to be big. I'm not going to, I'll get to that in a second. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Look what happens in Hebrews 2, 9. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? Why did he become a man? For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For Christ, he admitted, he admitted for Christ that the road to a crown was going to go through a cross. That was for Christ. He says, I I suffered so I could be crowned. Do you think it would be different then for Christians? the ones that are supposed to be little Christs or followers of Christ? If you think it would be different for us, we'd have it any better than him or deserve to have it better than him, then you heard wrong. Then you heard wrong. 
How about the Apostle Paul? You heard of the Apostle Paul? Let me say amen. You heard the Apostle? Amen. We heard of the Apostle Paul. He's a great Christian. Wasn't he a great Christian? I mean, he's a great. He says, the, the, the Apostle Paul writes, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He's saying, you know what, guys? You want to see Christ? You can't see Christ, but you can see me. So follow me. I'll show you what it's like to follow Christ. That's a pretty gutsy statement to make. I don't know if I can make that statement. I don't know if I can stand up in front of all of you and say, follow me as I'm following Christ. That's a convicting thing to say. That means you've got some serious confidence and some serious commitment that you're that in it with God that you could tell somebody, follow me because I'm following Christ. I won't lead you astray. Paul says, I'm your pattern. I'm your prototype. I'm a model or an example and an end sample of what it means to live the Christian life. What does our apostle say about the Christian life? What does our apostle and our minister and our teacher have to say about the Christian life? Every single book of the Bible that he wrote to churches. Let me give you one out of Romans. You don't have to flip there. Romans 6, 3, the great book of doctrine. You know what he told the Romans in that great book of doctrine? He said, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He says, guys, I want to just teach you something. You know what you were made a part of? You were made a part of his death. You were put into that death. Then he turns, he keeps writing. He gets to the book of 1 Corinthians. And the 1 Corinthians, man, they're like us. They got a Starbucks in every corner. They got this on every corner. They got, you know, Teslas riding around and everywhere. It's charging stations. They're doing great. They're having a great old time. They're, They're loving God one minute and living like the devil the next minute. And they're just all this stuff. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus. I die daily. Every day I'm putting myself on the cross and you guys are having a great old time like God doesn't exist. He's saying, I die daily. That's the apostle writing to these carnal Christians, reminding them, It's about dying, guys. It's about taking up a cross. And then the Holy Spirit gets to the next book. He gets to the next group, the Galatians. And the Galatians are a bunch of religious people. You know, those Judaizers were coming in saying, you got to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. And Paul steps in there. He says, let me tell you guys something. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Just in case you thought your beads or your whatever got you favor with God, let me just remind you what gets you favor with God. Jesus Christ died on the cross and I'm going to put myself on that cross so that I give him some glory. He told them that too. And then he keeps writing and he starts getting to the Philippian, Ephesians, I'm sorry. And he gets to Ephesians and Ephesians got all the deep doctrines and Ephesians was such a mature church and his boy Timothy would take over there as pastor. You know what he tells them in Ephesians 4.1? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. He says, hey, guys, you know all this stuff about God, all these deep truths. Don't forget, you're his prisoner. You're in his service. You are a bond slave to him and his service. It's every book, man. I still got three more to give you. Let me give you Philippians. Philippians was a great church. He didn't say anything nasty to that church. They were a great church. They were a poor church, but they were a giving church, those Macedonians. You know what he tells them in Philippians 3.10? He says, you know what I'm a part of? I'm a part of the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I'm learning how to die to myself so I could be a lot more like my Savior who died for this world. And he's writing it. And then he gets to those Colossians and those Colossians and he says, you know, hey, Colossians, you know what I'm doing? I got the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Colossians 1.24. 
And then he gets to the Thessalonians. He'd only been there for three weeks, but he writes a letter and he says, I know you guys are going through trouble, but when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Every single church he wrote them, he said, it's about dying to self. It's about suffering. You're going to go through things. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be conformed to his death. Every one of those seven groups that he wrote to, he said something. Where do you get the idea that following Christ meant a life of ease and quiet? Where did that come from? It didn't come from the Bible, and it didn't come from the New Testament, and it didn't come from Jesus, and it didn't come from the apostle to the church and the Gentiles named Paul. Who are you listening to? Who are you hearing? You heard wrong if you didn't think that this road down here was not a veil of tears. He said, that's the life. You want to see Paul's resume? Go to 2 Corinthians 11. You want to see his resume? 2 Corinthians 11. Here's his resume. I'm saying this not to spoil your lunch, but to show you that this is just be expecting it. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 11. And you can rejoice in it because you're partaking of his suffering. That means you've got a reward waiting for you if you just go through it with the right attitude. 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 23. Paul's giving his his resume to these Corinthians. Because the Corinthians, they always had beef with Paul. He always had to like prove that he was an apostle to them. Because, you know, he did, they didn't like what he said sometimes. And in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, he says, okay, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And again, that's gutsy for him to sit there and say, you know what? I'm more of a minister than Peter and Apollos and all these guys. He's like, let me just show you what I'm about. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That's not stripes of commendation on your uniform. Those are stripes of a whip across your back. Keep reading. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, not the recreational type with a rock to the head. Right? Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness... In painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Wow. That's Paul's resume. That's what Paul is citing to prove to these carnal knuckleheads, you know, I'm really an apostle and a follower of Christ. What does he touch on? All the stuff he knows about the Bible. You know what he touched on? I'm going through it for the Lord. And I'm not giving up for him either. Because I love him and I got me a crown waiting. Why? Why would we deserve any better? Why do I think I deserve any better than the greatest Christian that ever lived? Right? It shouldn't shock us. 
You know, William Tyndale, have you ever heard the name William Tyndale? You should learn about William Tyndale. You have that Bible in your lap, partly because God used a man named William Tyndale who fought against the churches, who fought against the religious leaders that hunted him so that the Bible that was locked in Latin and Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff could come out of those dead languages and be put in English for us to read and enjoy today. And when the King James translators put the King James Bible together, Tyndale's version was probably on the table. There's a heavy influence of Tyndale's work on your King James Bible. And they killed him, and they burnt him at the stake, and they hunted him. And you know what he said and he wrote when he was finally in prison, getting ready for death? Just listen to the words of a brother in Christ who gave it all so you could have a Bible. Here's what he said breaks my heart. My overcoat is worn out. My shirts also are worn out. And I ask to be allowed to have a lamp in the evening. It is indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. And what are you complaining about? How dare I complain? He has a brother who laid his whole life on the line so some people can have a Bible. And he's like, I just, I just asked him so I could have a lamp at night so I don't have to sit alone in the dark. And we complain about everything under the sun. And we're Christians just like him, saved by the same blood as he is, with the same future as he has. You say, how then does a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ take up his cross and follow the Savior? Just, I got just two or three stops left. I'm going to hurry. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Let me just show you here. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. How do you do this? I mean, do I got to flagellate myself and hit myself with a whip or something like that? No, no, nothing like that. This is a hard issue. Colossians 3.1, the Lord says this. Verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, are you saved? Say amen. amen. That's you. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. He says, just lay some stuff down here because he's got some great stuff he's bringing you from up there. And then he says, here's the secret. Verse five, the number of death. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry for which things sake. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. He says, how do you take up your cross? You don't have to die on a tree, but you must deny your flesh if you're going to follow Jesus Christ. You're going to struggle with it. Not always going to, but you got to put some things down and pick some things up. He says in verse 5, mortify. That means subdue some stuff, restrain some stuff, destroy some stuff, humble some stuff, put some stuff to death, right? Mortify, mortal, mortuary, mortician. It has to do with stuff dying. He says you got to put some stuff down and say no to some sin. Why? For the cause of Christ. That's what he says. That's how you take up your cross. So when your hands and your feet and your heart and your mouth want what's wrong, you know what you do? You die to self for the Savior. When your hand wants to reach for something that you know is wrong, you say, nope, not today. 
When your feet want to take you somewhere, the Holy Spirit is screaming, don't go. You're going to say, I want to go there so bad I could taste it. But Lord, for you, I'm not going to go. Or I am going to go where I should go. When your mouth is going to pour out that diarrhea that you know isn't going to edify or help or bless, you're going to say, I'm going to zip it and speak truth in love for the glory of my Savior who, did, when he was reviled, opened not his mouth. And when your heart gets full of all its wicked imaginations and machinations and all those thoughts that you think are real because you think them, you know what you're going to do? You're going to cast them down and say, no, that's just my heart. That's just my deceived heart. Lord, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe you. That's how you follow the Savior and take up your cross. Denial ain't just the river in Egypt. Denial is the way you take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Timothy 4. We've got two stops left. Hurry. 2 Timothy 4. Let me show you what Paul testified at the end of his life. And I know. 2 Timothy 4. I know. This sounds so foreign to the average Christian today because they heard wrong. They've heard about prosperity. They've heard about their best life now. They've heard about this. They've heard about that. But this is the normal Christian life. This is what is all over the New Testament. 2 Timothy 4, 6. And I know why some Christians even sitting here right now are like, I do not want to follow the Savior. That's what it means. I get it. I hear you. You're a pragmatist. I understand. You're thinking, why follow Jesus Christ if it means you can't continue following him without fighting, without sacrifice? That's what Paul's doing. He's sitting in a Roman jail now. He's all alone. He can't see well. He's got his medical doctor with him. That's it. And he says in 4, 6 of 2 Timothy 4, I am now ready to be offered. He's going to die. They're going to cut his head off. And the time of my departure is at hand. He saw the clock ticking. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, I know it goes through your mind. Why would you fight this fight? Why would you keep anything? Why continue following the Savior if it means this broken road and all the things they're going to bring to it. You can't stop at verse 7 because there's no period. You got to read verse 8 for the payoff. This is the why. This is what makes sense. This is what gives you perspective because Paul writes right after that, colon, which means here's the continuation of the thought. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that's you, that love his appearing. He says, you know why I keep going? You know why I'm not despairing? You know why I'm not, no, I'm not down in the mouth and crying in my beer? Because the great Christian Paul, like Jesus Christ, knew that his cross was going to lead to a crown, a crown that never faded away to be a part of that kingdom that the Messiah, the Savior was going to bring. You know what he never lost? He never lost perspective. He never lost outlook, viewpoint. He never lost his heavenly mindset. Have you or I? We get so overwhelmed sometimes. But did you forget, if you just keep going, there's something laid up for you that doesn't ever fade away? that goes on forever and ever, and that little 70, 80, 90, 40, 50 years, whatever it is that God gave you, you're going to look back at those horrible times and think, what was I so upset about again? I can't remember. I'm too busy flying past Jupiter. right? You're just not going to remember. It's going to seem like such a distant thing. 
Oh, brethren. Good. Let's finish in John 18, 36. I want to read you one last verse and a couple of comments will be done. John 18, 36. Let me show you something about perspective from your Savior and then Paul. John 18, 36. John 18, verse. Now, here's Jesus, right? Maybe they got, maybe they bound his hands. They whipped him. He's standing in front of Pilate, this pagan punk, right? Pilate, who we could just twiddle an eye like the old bewitched show and just turn him into vapor, right? This little Pilate, this punk, right? Thinks he's got power over Jesus to put him to death or not. And he's just sitting there, Jesus Christ. Can't you see him? All the power in the universe. And he's just staring at this guy. And he's accosting him. Who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? Blah, 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 blah. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Do you know what word in that verse is removed from most of the modern versions of the Bible that people are reading today? You'd never guess it. It's the word now. Because it's not now that you get your best life. It's not now, Jesus knew, that he was going to get the kingdom. And the devil wants to make you forget that it's not now that you get to reign. Now is the time of the cross. And Jesus told Pilate, but now is my kingdom not from hence. I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to have to die. And very soon, my kingdom's going to come that never passes away. And that evil spirit that likes to pervert those Bibles just snatched out that little word now because he wants to make people forget that you don't get it all now. You don't get it all down here. Though you are a son like Jesus Christ was a son, there is suffering down here. There is tribulation down here. There is cross-bearing down here. You don't get it all now. And I think like Christ, Paul knew that his greatest blessings were not now. Do you know that? And this life is great. I enjoy my life. I love my life. I thank every se- I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. I've said it all, right? I am happy and thankful and go home blessed and full. But this ain't it. This ain't it. There's something so far better. You don't get it all now. And some of us are trying to get it all now. Like there isn't a later that's supposed to come. Why do athletes, pour their, put, why do athletes put their bodies through hell every day? Why do they struggle? Get up at 5 a.m., run, eat dinner, chase a chicken like Rocky did in the movies and all this stuff. Why do they do that? Why? To win a trophy, to get a prize later. They endure. Why do cancer patients endure the agony of chemo? Why? So they can live a long and healthy life later. They go through one or two or three years, whatever the protocol is, now and it stinks and it really, really stinks, all right? I've seen it up close and personal. But why do you go through it? Because there's a payoff at the end. Why do Christians fight the good fight of faith and take up their cross because there's an eternal reward that's waiting for you if you just keep going. Oh, brethren, don't lose perspective. Elizabeth Elliot, I've told her story before, watched her husband and their friends get murdered as missionaries in Ecuador by the Aka Indians. Do you know what she wrote? If we do anything to further the kingdom of God, we may expect 
to find what Christ found on that road. Abuse, indifference, injustice, misunderstanding, trouble of some kind. You know what she writes to the Christians? Take it. Take it. Take it. Why not? To that you were called, she writes. In Latin America, someone who feels sorry for himself is said to look like a donkey in a downpour. Not a flattering compliment. If we think of the glorious fact that we are on the same path with Jesus, we might see a rainbow. She said, if you just cry in your beer, you're going to look like a you-know-what, just like a little Eeyore. But if you remember that you're following the footsteps of Jesus Christ and following him and taking up your cross and he got a crown, which means you got a crown. He's got a kingdom that never fades away, which means you get to be a part of a kingdom that never fades away. You might be able to lift up your head and see the silver lining and see the rainbow. So brethren, I encourage you, let's not lose our perspective, saints. The American dream, whatever that is, whatever it is now, I know what it used to be. But just that more and more and more and more and more money, more money, more money. You know what that is? That is not always the Bible way. Bigger doesn't mean better to God. More doesn't mean blessed to God. You don't get your best life now. You don't get your best life now. No matter what you heard or what bestseller you've, you've read, your best life is yet to come. Amen? Come on. Your best life is yet to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a German pastor under Hitler's regime, executed right before, shortly before the Allies liberated Germany. You know what he wrote? To endure the cross is not tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an ex- exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to walk out today, today crying in your beer. Oh, Pat told me life was going to be terrible. No, no, no. You get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. What an honor. What a privilege. What a blessing. What a high honor. What a glory that's unspeakable that you get to be a partaker of because you're willing to drink of the cup that he drank of. So don't go out here moping today because I told you something sobering. Go out here realizing I have the honor to take up my cross and follow the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that this seems like anything but the normal Christian life is proof you heard wrong. It's proof of it, that we're so stymied by this type of teaching that we've all heard wrong. We've been listening to the wrong voices. So let's get into our Bibles and realize what God has waiting for us and what little bit we've got to go through to get something far better. Let's stand for prayer. We'll have a word of prayer. Let's stand together.